this morning as we have been reminded again as we have sung songs of praise to you as we have heard in this special music whether it's in the morning when we awake or when the moon is at its brightest God we can be grateful for your steadfast love this morning we want to thank you and may that be on the lips of every one of us today as we take these special moments together just to regroup in our week. All the things that have gone on to get us here this week and those things that we anticipate for the coming week, we gladly lay them at your feet. And God, we want your involvement in our life. This morning as we were reminded in Sunday school that we want the God of peace to rule in our heart and our life. God, we thank you. Help us to recognize you. In the midst of all the trials and the tests and everything that comes our way, you are the constant, you are the faithful, and we can rely on you. I thank you for each one that's gathered here this morning. I pray that you will continue that great plan that you have for them. God, we thank you for each of those that make their home here at the People's Church. Bless them mightily. For those that can't be with us today, those that may be traveling, and those that may not be feeling well, God, you know the reason why. God, I pray that they would sense your presence. For those that need that special touch, whether it be from healing or whether it just be for some direction or some answers, God, whatever it is, we ask that you work in such a way that they recognize God in all these areas. We pray for our missionaries this morning, and we thank you for John and Linda. And as they serve amongst a group of people who really do not have any interest in God, as with all of us, we understand that our natural default is enmity. We're opposed to you. But God, we know there's certain people, groups around the world, and they are ministering to some of those groups that are some of the hardest. God, I pray that you would encourage them today. I pray that they would be able to be ministered to during the day. And God, that they would recognize it has been from your hand. We thank you for them. God, we look forward to all that you have for us in the days ahead. We think of our upcoming meetings and variety of things that are happening. We think of the Men for God rally. We think of the students traveling back to NBBI uh, today. Give them safety. God, we think of just the very regular routines of life. We commit them all to you. God, we are a blessed people. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a delight this morning to have with us one of our own missionaries. Doesn't need any introduction, but he will get one. Um, Brother Al Cabral, uh, ministering uh, with Restoration Ministries for a number of decades, and his wife Brenda. And uh, one of the blessings right now is the fact that it's a, one of those good and bad. It's maybe not so good for Al in that he can't travel as much, but it has been really good for us, hasn't it? And we've had op opportunity over the last few months, especially, to have Al come and share with us. This morning he's going to do a two-for. Uh, we're going to get a little more extra out of it. So we're going to get two-for-one here this morning. He's going to give us an update on restoration, and then we've asked him to share the Word of God. I want to make a clarifying statement while you're right here. I said last week that there are times on Saturday morning we feel like we're being hammered from the Word of God, and I want to be clear. That's a good thing. All right? Um, as men, we need opportunity where we get into God's Word and it opens up to us. And every Saturday morning, and men, I want to put a plug in, 7 o'clock. Um, if you can make it, it's well worth your time. We have not had a Saturday morning yet where I've walked away. Oh, that was a waste. It has just been a delight and an encouragement. So, men, it is an opportunity for you. 
And uh, we just gather around tables and we open the word of God, we answer questions, and we get some directives from God's word, and then we pray together, and it's a great thing, great way to start your Saturday morning. So, without any further ado, I'm going to turn our rest of our service over to Al Cabral. Thank you, sir. Uh, Where I'm from, hammered means you're drunk out of your mind and you're laying on the ground. That's exactly why I wanted to explain it. And I tried for the life of me to picture these guys on Saturday morning going, well, that was good, why that? <laughs> for you students who are here from the Bible school, I recognize you're starting tomorrow. I spoke down there a while ago, and I spoke on exactly this message. So the only thing I can conclude is you need to hear it again. Uh, first of all, be, before I read and speak... Uh, this is a difficult one for me. I um, I said to Wayne, this is the first time I've requested speaking, that um, I would like to thank People's Church uh, because you have been behind me personally for 47 years. That is a long, long time. I came here as a student, and I came to People's Church, and now 10 pastors later, we're still at People's Church, and then Brenda and I started here 44 years ago, and on and off between missionary trips and serving other places, and then at the school. It's been 44 years. I I don't take that lightly, because some of the friendships that we have established here are the friendships that are very, very special to us. I wrote a letter to the church, and as well as our the other folks who support us and pray for us. And I said to them at the end of this year that uh, I was going to stop what I had been doing for 47 years. Um, And the reason is uh, I, I love to do it. There is nothing better I love and sitting down with people and talking about Jesus. And you need to help me, Father. (laughs) But I'm going to have to stop. And one of the reasons is, I know you all think I look good. And what's wrong with the boy anyway? I I even wore a tie this morning. And uh, Brother Steve gave me this coat a number of weeks ago. And I walked by him this morning, and I said, how do you like the coat, Steve? He said, nice coat. He didn't even recognize his own coat. But I, um, my main problem is in my head. That's why it's difficult to understand. And any amount of stress that I put on that, it just it causes me lots of physical, mental grief. Although I was reading a book on Parkinson's the other day, and it was on exercise, and the guy said, if you really want to increase your capacity, what you need to do is exercise for two minutes, and then for 30 seconds, just push, 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 push. And here I was in the gym by myself the first day, and my mind is saying, are you out of your mind? And my body was saying, I agree with him. So the first one came up, and and for 30 seconds, I pushed it. You see, I think I I couldn't do it, but I did do it, and I rested for two minutes, and then I pushed again. Now, if you have a heart problem, don't take my advice here, but if you have Parkinson's, everything about Parkinson's says to your body, slow down, you can't do this, stop. And as soon as I stopped that, my general walking was exactly the same. The gait is the same and everything. And then two or three minutes later, I push, push, push again. And I found out that I can do things that I think, I thought I couldn't do. And then the next day, Matt Larrabee comes in. And I don't know if I told you about this, but we're walking around and I may have said in two minutes, I'm going to fly. But all of a sudden, I just took off and I pumped my arms and I walked as fast as I possibly could, which is quite unusual for me. 
and he has his little girl in his knapsack, and she's watching vovu, that's the Portuguese word for grandfather, just buzzing around the room. And he's saying, where did that come from? Now, I'd just like to apply that to what I'm going to speak about this morning after I finish with thanking you. Ten pastors later and lots of people later, this is the church where most of our history has happened. We have sat down with most of you privately, personally, and tried to be of encouragement and help to you in various ways. And if this is the only church we ever go to, I want you to know I think it's a wonderful place. I think it's a wonderful place to help somebody to grow. It's a wonderful place to hear the word of God. And it is a wonderful place to experience fellowship with God's people. It has been an absolute blessing for us. And the reason I'm telling you that, somebody asked me, well, what are you going to do if you don't do what you're already doing? And I said, well, I'm probably going to do the same thing. It's just that now I'm not going to get paid for it. So I want to thank you from the bottom of our heart, all of us, all of you, sorry, all of you. And in 2016, in December, we're going to stop restoration. But one of my friends said, I'm thinking about starting up a counseling ministry in a couple of years. And I would like to take the name Restoration and continue that. I thought that's really cool. I'd like you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, if you would, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm reading a book on the kingdom of God and covenants, which is a very dull, heavy theological book. And all of a sudden, I flip the page one day, and he says, Deuteronomy 6 is the center of the whole Old Testament. And I'm going, wow, that's interesting. That's what I'm speaking on. And it contains this phrase where God tells us what he wants from us more than anything else. And he starts off in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. He commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land of Canaan where you're going when you pass over to possess it. That you may fear before God. We've tried a number of definitions on fear, and the only word I can come up with is awe. Awe covers a lot. It's when we come here, we're in awe, not just of the preaching of the word and the singing, and the building, and the people who have come, but we are in awe of God. It means it's, it's overwhelming for us. Spiritually, it's overwhelming. We don't know anybody like him. We don't know another thing like him, and we stand in awe. For some people, the only awe they have is what they have. And when you take that away, all of their awe is gone, or their job, or their money, or the people around them. That's where their awe is. That's what they work really, really hard for and protect and control. He says, I'm commanding you and I want you to teach this generation to be in awe of God. Uh, Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and the commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel and to be careful to do them. Now, when you're first reading this, your, your response will be, you know, I heard a conversation this week of a lady who was telling someone else, I, I don't particularly like this God of the Old Testament. He seems harsh, stern, command-centered. I, I like Jesus much better because he's softer, kinder, gentler. Can I remind you? that Jesus is the God in the Old Testament. He is exactly the same God. And she said, I don't mind the things in the New Testament because she was pretty happy about Jesus, evidently, and telling everybody about Jesus. But she said, I can hardly stand that terrible God of the Old Testament. Little did she know that if she read the Gospel of John, she would read, 
my father loves me. And I love my father. And the glory I had with him, he's going to give it back to me. And because you love me, he's going to share my glory with you. She just got a little mixed up on that. There is no angry God here. Verse 3, Hear, O Israel, be careful to do them that you may go that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you into a land flowing with milk and honey. They're getting ready for a whole new experience. They've been living in slavery for 400 years. They're in the wilderness. And God says, you're going to go into this totally new experience here. And I want you to know, when I give you these commandments, these, these 10 things I'm going to tell you are going to benefit your life. Because everybody would have rejoiced when he said, don't commit adultery. You know what that means? You wouldn't have to worry about somebody lusting after your wife. Because nobody's going to commit adultery. And you don't have to worry about your stuff because nobody's going to steal. You don't have to worry about your parents or somebody offending your parents because everybody's going to honor their own parents and everybody else's parents. These were very liberating things that God was saying. They're not just commandments and rules and statutes. They're freeing. And you don't have to worry about any other gods because there's only one God. And don't set up any idols in your life because it will be so destructive for you. And then he says this to them, verse 4. This is the heart of it. Here, that word is the Hebrew word shema. And if you know of any Orthodox Jewish people, they plant that right there on their forehead and they tie it around their left arm with long, long straps. And in that little box about that high, it's an ugly-looking little thing, but in that leather box are four passages, two from Exodus and two from Deuteronomy. And it's called the Shema. And every day, twice a day, they say the Shema. In the morning, when they get up, they say the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Not just one of many, but one, the only one. You don't have to ask, do I need to know Jesus and somebody else? There is only one. And he is so unique that if you add something to one, you have something other than one. And it's a misfit. And on their doorposts, every time they go out the door and come in the door, they touch the doorposts and kiss their lips because they're touching the mezuzah, which contains the Shema in it. And he's going to tell them to do that. In other words, in the mind of a Jew, you could never get through a day going in, going out, waking up, going to bed without remembering that the God that you serve is the one Lord God of the universe. You you couldn't forget it. Hero Israel, the Lord, that's his personal name, Jehovah. Our God, Elohim. The Lord, Jehovah again, is one. I once read a long explanation of that that was so good I can't find it, but the guy was doing these math things on, on, on the uniqueness of one. It was absolutely, incredibly powerful. Now what does this God want from me? Okay, let's, let's add this up. Does he want my money? Does he want me to come to church every Sunday? Does he want me to give my kids to the missionary field? What does this God want? Because it seems so strange, because no Muslim will be asked to do this to Allah. No Buddhist will be asked to do this. Nobody else in all the religious world will be asked to do this. What is God's point? Well, God, the Lord who is one, said, I want you to love me. I don't only want you to obey me and be my people. I want you to love me like the most passionate man loves the most passionate woman. John Piper said, God created sexuality because it was the only way he could express to you how much he loved you. How do you explain love? This is not romance. This is not, I like you. God didn't say, like me on Facebook and tweet about me. He said, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. I don't, I don't want you to just like coming to church. I want you to love me. Back and forth. I know what you've done 
for me, God, and he knows what he's done for me. That's not what he's asking for. Don't accept all the stuff I did for you by which you, by, by which you are saved. I want you to love me. See, if I come home someday and I say to Brenny, I've taken care of all the banking. Uh, we have an, a car. Um, and it's been wonderful to be with you for 44 years. And all this is yours. It's all yours. But I don't love you. I found somebody else. I know instantaneously what she's going to do. First, she's going to get this look on her face that she cannot produce today because that's not true. And I thought, is this a big deal to God? Or is it just a big deal when a woman says to her husband, I don't love you anymore, I found somebody else. God talks in the Old Testament about spiritual adultery. And if adultery in a marriage is bad, then spiritual adultery against God is huge. It's huge. Because you're saying to God, I found somebody better than you, other than you. And of all the things he could have said, he could have said, say the Shema ten times a day. And be at church every week. And if you don't come, you're lost. But he didn't. He just said, I'm God, and I am so superior, and I want you to love me not just for what you get out of me, I want you to love me because of who I am. Now, Brent's getting older, and I'm getting older. I used to be one cool-looking, handsome dude. (laughs) When she saw me, she fell in love with me. All of that, is just about gone, except for this jacket. (laughs) And she's keeping me. And she tells me she loves me. And I just wondered what Jesus thinks every Sunday when he goes to various churches. And people sing about him, and they say, "I'm, I'm worshiping you, God. Look, this is what I'm doing. I'm worshiping you now. And I'm listening to your word. And he says to the church of Ephesus, I see everything you're doing. I see everything you're doing. You're busy, busy like bees. But you don't love me. Do you know that a person will do things for love that they will not do for commandments? A parent will die for the kids. They won't die because somebody commands them. See, if I love God, every commandment that is in this book, I will obey out of a different motive than I have to. Because love says, I love you, and it doesn't matter what you need. I'm going to meet that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's my mind. That's that's the place where I make decisions and I make choices. And with all your soul, and every single ounce of strength that you ever have, the Hebrew there is push, 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 push. Not really, but it fits. So I've been saved for a long time, and recently God has said to me, so you've done ministry for 45 years, and um, that's good. Lots of people come to the Lord. Lots of people counseled and helped. That's wonderful. I got one question for you, because I can't answer this question for you, and you can't answer this question for me. So it's no good me trying to push you into this because you will balk and rebel as soon as I'm not here. That's what leadership can never do. And God says, I said, God, I'm concerned about your church and and this age and people and this marriage and that family and on, on, on. And he says, that's good. I'm concerned too. 
But my biggest concern is, I want to know, do you love me? I said, do I love you? Of course I love you. In two minutes, I want you to push, 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 push. I want to say four things about this before I forget. Number one, I have to learn how to love. Uh, Brenda's niece just had a little baby just day before Christmas Eve. Little baby, no baby, and then now they got a baby. Before they had a dog, now they got a dog and a baby. They got a baby. They've watched all kinds of videos of babies, but now they got a real baby. And walking out of the hospital, he said to the doctor, you need to keep us here. We have no idea what we're doing. And that's just like about every family. Yeah, I know how to be a husband. I know how to be a wife. I know how to be a mother. I know. And you have no idea. So God says, I I want you to be a Christian. And what I want from you the most, before you do anything for me, what I want from you the most is I want you to learn how to love. Yesterday, I get this email just to show you learning. I never typed a letter in my life till I was 65. I'm 68 now. Not a letter. Couldn't even spell computer. Then one day, I pushed myself. Brenda bought me a Kindle. And it only has one button on it, and I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know a download from an upload. And I learned. Then I learned. I hadn't learned all this time, and then I learned. And then I went to a different kind of Kindle, and then I went to a computer. And there's still a gazillion things I don't know. But I know enough, and I have learned. So God comes along to us and says, uh, you're pretty happy where you are, huh? <laughs> yes, God, this is me. This is what I'm doing. God says, I want you to push and push and push in your relationship with me. I want you to go further with me. I don't necessarily want you to do more, but I want you to want me more. So yesterday... On my phone, I also learned how to use a cell phone. And I've lost my pictures uh, lots of times, and I find them in the cloud. (laughs) That's what they call it. I call it a very dark cloud. Somebody sent me something on Interact. It was a gift. I'd never seen that before. Unless you think I'm dumb and stupid, somebody sent one to Matt the other day and he was going to delete it. He thought it was something else. And I said, ah, when the master doesn't know what to do, I don't feel so dumb. (laughs) And it said, would you like to put this into your account? Now, what do you think? I said, yes. I said, Brenny, I'm going to put this into the account. And they asked me one question. Where were you born? So we went into Scotiabank, and the answer for Scotiabank is Canada. But this wasn't Scotiabank. This was Interact. And I tried it twice, and they said, now, you're probably not the guy who should receive this. And it's not available to you anymore. So I called up the guy who sent it, and I said, "Um, it's very kind of you to send that, but I lost it in the cloud. Somewhere. You know what I'm doing? I'm learning. I'm learning how to get money across the air into my bank. And the first time you do anything, you don't know how to do it. So God says, would you start with me? Would you start by merely desiring to love me? And in the midst of everything, when everything goes wrong and you suffer loss and you can no longer do what you love to do because God is allowing something that's stopping you from doing what you love to do, will you love me then? Is this question. Because you're all going to lose everything you ever had eventually. I'm just losing some things prematurely. And God says, can you love me? And not only love me with one or two, but can you love me with three or four? Because I'm just looking for somebody 
that I can put out there that the world can look at who's not dissatisfied, angry, mad at a God who controls everything. So I have to learn this. And so do you. And you say, listen, I've been saved for a long time now. That's just not my style. You know, those lovey-dovey stuff. God commands you to do the thing that is going to be most beneficial to you. Secondly, I must work at this. So I learn it and I must practice this. I, I have to practice. Every day I get up, I say, the Lord, my God, is one. He is sufficient for everything. I have to teach that. I have to demonstrate that. I have to portray this before the world that I live in. And when people come to me and they say, this terrible tragedy happened to me, how can God help? And God says, come on, push, 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 push. Help them. Believe for them. Work at this with them. Because when you're helping them, you're helping me. The second part of this verse says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them to your children. The most beneficial thing you can do for your kids and your grandkids is to teach them that God is one and he is desiring of love. Jesus quoted this verse in Matthew 22 when they came to him and said, What is the greatest commandment? And he said to them, Deuteronomy 6, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, he added, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, because if we are left to ourselves, I can learn this and work on this in the confines of my house or my study or whatever. And it, it, I don't only have to love God, I have to love you. And if I love God, it has to include you. I can't shut myself away and say, God, I love you. I, I have this wonderful relationship with God without any interaction with anybody else. And Jesus said, if you're going to love me, you have to love my people. But God, some of your people are really weird. He says, I know, and they need to be loved. I love them. And I want you to love them. But some of them at People's Church are really, really weird. I know. And I love them. And what you need to do is sacrifice your priorities and love them too. You see, and the miracle here is when I am willing to give up what I want and I give that to you. And I will suffer the loss for you. I was counseling this 16-year-old the other day who said to his dad, don't go very far. This won't take long. I'm going to be in here five minutes with Al. That was 10 o'clock, 10.30. At 12, I said to him, you know what? If your dad had a choice of living or you getting right with him, I know you're done. He would choose a shorter life that you would have a better life. I said, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't have to come to die to prove anything. He just said, Father, we love these guys so much. How can we save them? And he gave up everything. The greatest demonstration, Ephesians 3 says, is this. Being rooted and grounded in love that you may understand that God would give you the power to understand the height that is straight up. There is no measuring tape in the world that can measure straight up into infinity. That you might know the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love Where was that demonstrated best? 
What are you doing there, Jesus? I'm loving my Father, most of all. And I'm loving this world. Well, they obviously don't love you. That is correct. But I love them. And I'm giving my life as an offering and a sacrifice to my Father to appease their sins. And they're spitting at you and slapping you around. Yes, they are. They're crucifying you. Yes. But because my Father loves me, I'm not losing one thing. He will take that humility and he will exalt that so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And you may say to me, Al, I know no other life than the life I'm living. Malcolm Gladwell, who's one of my favorite authors, is a brilliant guy, recently came to know Christ as his Savior. And somebody asked him, why didn't you come before you? You've hung around Christians all your life. This is his answer. I never met anybody who really loved Jesus. I know lots of Christians. I never met anybody who really loved Jesus. And he interviewed this mother who had lost her daughter to a murderer, and she wanted to talk to the murderer, and the police said, no, you just want to get your hands on him to strangle him. And she says, no, I want to meet with him so that I can tell him he is forgiven for killing my daughter. And Malcolm Gladwell said, I have never in my entire life met somebody who loved Jesus that much that they would be willing to forgive somebody who has grossly offended them. Do you know the New Testament says the one thing that we do which gets the world's attention is not to have a supper at the church. It's not to have a movie. It's when we love one another. I mean, Steve could have thrown his coat away, but he gave it to me. My friend could have kept his money that he had, but he sent it to me. And this gift of giving that we, excuse me, that we do for each other, there's, there's always this, I'm doing it for more than just you. I'm doing it for him. That is so attractive to the world. They shall know you are my disciples by the way you love each other, he said. That is amazing because I can do that in my state and you can do that in your state and whatever situation you're in, how terrible your trial, we can all love God. I just ask God for two things. Number one, I don't want to forget him. And I don't want to forget Brenda. The rest of you I can forget. I asked Jean this morning how Brenda was doing. And he said, see, she's in a a place where reality is becoming very difficult. The cloud is getting very dark. And some people tell me, I can't love God because of my situation. And I say, you can love God till your last breath. And as soon as you start doing that, not only will he notice it, and that will register in heaven. You know what told me that money didn't go through? It wouldn't click off to done, finished, sign out. It was just stuck in confirm with this little yellow thing buzzing around it, which didn't look good. So how do we confirm this to God? We need to learn about it. I need to learn that love is kind and patient, even when we're irritated. And I find myself saying to Brenda at times, Honey, I I just can't do anything about this right now. I cannot cope with this little thing that's bugging me. It's got nothing to do with you. And she is so patient and understanding and kind when I am out of my mind confused. And I know I am. And her response is, now what if, what, if, what if I acted like that every time I did this and not blame how I react on something that I have? 
Because there may come a time in your life when you can't react other than So we learn it, we work at it, we demonstrate it, and we appreciate it. It's now 12 o'clock, hallelujah. I need just a couple of minutes. I'm not going to go very far with this. I have a greater appreciation for Jesus Christ. I do. When I love God. When I say to the Father, I love your Son, I will do anything you ask me to do. You want me to start 47 years ago? I will start. You want me to stop? I will stop. Out of necessity, I will stop. Because my life has to be more than what I do. Otherwise, when I stop doing what I'm doing, who am I? But I can love him. I have probably prayed more about everything in the last three years. I meet people all the time who say, we've been praying for you for years. I must confess, I'm not a great prayer up until three years ago. I prayed as much as anybody. But I never got down with God and said, you got to do something about this, God. Agonizing my soul. My brother, who just got out of the hospital yesterday, he's been a drunk most of his life, smoked two packs of cigarettes a day most of his life. You couldn't tell this boy anything. Same house, same parents, same brothers, same sisters. And all of a sudden, he has a heart attack. And then within two days, he has another heart attack. And then they find two arteries that are 100% blocked. So they have to do emergency surgery. And they have to give him beer in the hospital while he's a patient because he'll have more of a violent reaction against cold turkey than he will the heart attack that he just had. He has no relationship with his wife, with his kids. It's just the whole thing's been about him. And suddenly his world falls apart and it can't be about him anymore. He can't even walk up the steps. And I'm saying, God, this is not a problem for you. I'm asking you to break through this so that my brother can love you and respond to you and accept you as his Savior. I have a new, a new appreciation for the gospel, for Jesus, and for you. Do you know why? Because God loves you. I don't have to win every argument. I don't have to have my way. I have a new appreciation for this book. In times of trouble... God just says, because this is going to solve whatever it is you're struggling with. I want you to love me, and I'll take care of it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm taking care of those people in the world. And you have a new appreciation of the depths of your sin and the awe of God. Matt's little girl, she's two, almost two. She walks around the school like this. Oh, huh, huh. You know what it is? One of those things hanging in the hallway, guys, the stars and Christmas snowflakes you put up there. Huh, huh. When does that stop? At about three. God says, do you find me magnificent? Do you find me the kind of God that you would say, I will give, I will give my life to you. I will give anything and everything. What about if that involves pain and <clears throat> all that? I, I can hear God saying to me and to us this morning, you've been going this two-minute slow pace. And I now I want you to push, 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 push. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm running out of breath. Push, push. Keep going. For 30 seconds. And then you can rest. And then you prove to yourself that being here is good. But being here without ever moving further than being here is not sufficient for God, in case you were wondering. Now, I'm stopping, but... A young man back there in the yellow jacket is going to play a song 
for us. It's not about loving God, but it's a pretty powerful song. So while the song's playing, it's just four minutes after by my time. I, I just want you to listen to the song. Because he's talking about, even if God slays me, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to trust him. Before he starts, People's Church, thank you. Thank you for a long, long time of helping us, encouraging us, believing in us, encouraging us. That was a sacrifice which was very pleasing to Jesus. It does not mean I'm going to stop everything. It just means I'm going to stop a lot of things. And I'm not discouraged. I'm not down. I'm not pessimistic. I'm probably doing better than I've ever done in my entire life. Listen. Okay. And then after the song's done, you can just leave. Leave.